Well, uh, we are in our series through the Gospel of Luke, and we are spending 25 weeks going through the Gospel of Luke, and I have good news for you this morning. This morning is week 13. Week 13. You know what that means? We're halfway through. We're, we're actually past the halfway point. Week 13 of our 25-week series through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been learning a lot together about who Jesus is, about his kingdom, about what he values, about what he's done, and why it makes a difference in our lives. And this morning, we're going to look at something that Jesus said. And it's something he said about, I think, something that is really universal to the human experience. And it's the topic of worry, anxiety. And when Jesus is giving this uh, teaching on worry 2,000 years ago, I kind of wonder, like, did they worry about the same things that we worry about today, 2,000 years ago? In a lot of ways, I bet they did. You know, think about what people worry about the most. They worry about money right? They worry about debt. How am I going to pay the bills? Do I have enough money to do the things that I want to do? Some people worry about the future. What's coming? What's tomorrow going to be like? Worrying about job security, worrying about relationships, my marriage, my family, my kids. You know, once you have kids, it's like all your worry now is just multiplied because now your worry is just kind of walking around in another human being and you don't have any control over what they do. And uh, so you have some worry there. Uh, people worry about their health, you ever, uh, you ever have some symptoms and you go online and you Google your symptoms and you're like, I'm, I'm dying. Like, there's 12 different ways I'm dying right now. It's, it's terrifying. Don't ever type your symptoms into WebMD because you're immediately going to think that it's your last day on earth. But we, we worry about our health. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, I, I turned 40 this past year. And I, I remember when I was a teenager that I would go to bed sore you know, from, from some sort of physical activity, and I would wake up feeling fine. And now at 40, I go to bed feeling relatively fine, and somehow I wake up sore. You know, how do you wake up with a sprained ankle? How do you, how do, you do that? It makes me worry. We worry about our personal appearance. Do we look the way we want to look? And, and I think we also worry about things that maybe are a little more even... Um, foundational to our identity as human beings, like, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Do I matter? Does my life matter? And so what do we do with our worry? And how do we overcome worry? And Jesus really helps us out here. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 12. We're going to read verses 22 through 28. And then later on in the message, we're going to read the rest of this passage. But I want to start with these seven verses. I'm reading to you from the ESV. It's in your, it's in your handout. It's in your, your program. It's also on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 28. And Jesus says this to his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Well, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, Solomon was an Old Testament king who had unparalleled wealth. Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, they actually burned grass back then for fuel, 
which is alive in the field today, tomorrow is thrown in the oven. How much more will he, God, clothe you, O you of little faith? In this passage, Jesus gives us three powerful reasons, three profound reasons why we don't need to worry. And the first reason is this. Life is more than you think it is. Life is more than you think it is. You know, everybody who's read the Bible and is familiar with the Bible has certain verses that they wish weren't in the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? Certain verses that you just, they just are kind of hard for you to hear. Maybe this verse, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. How about turn the other cheek? How about the, the, when James writes about controlling your tongue? Don't we wish that he didn't write that? That we could just say whatever we want, whenever we want. How about when Paul teaches us in Corinthians about what it looks like to be generous and to give and to faithfully give away our resources for God's kingdom. There's, there's verses in the Bible that people don't like, they're not comfortable with. Well, for me, one of mine's in this passage, actually. It's actually right there, um, did you see it, in verse 23, where it says, for life is more than food. <laughs> I was like, really? Jesus, come on, I mean... Really, you got to say that. You got to say that. For life is more than food. I mean, this past week, my, my family and I have three little girls, uh, and, and, and Aaron, we, we went down to New York City, and we did what we call our, once a year, we do what's called a New York City food tour. It's exactly what it sounds like. And uh, we, we walk around a specific neighborhood. This time it was the Chelsea area of Manhattan. And we walk around and, and we started at a place called the Donut Plant, which has the best donuts in New York City. Then we went to Italy. If you like Italian food, you just think you died and went to heaven. It's incredible, amazing food. Then we walked to my favorite uh, Sichuan Chinese style restaurant and got some hand-pulled noodles. And then we ended up at Chelsea Market. And then it, it just was a beautiful day. And the whole time I was enjoying the food in the back of my mind was Jesus' voice going, life is more than food. (laughs) You know, when we read that verse, we might say, I get it, but hold on, food is necessary to live, right? These things are necessary. What is Jesus saying? Well, when when Jesus said that life is more than food, it helps us to understand that he had a choice of Greek words for life, and he didn't use the word bios, which is we get, of course, biology from which is the study of life. So Jesus wasn't saying that food is not necessary to actually live biologically. He used the word, the Greek word psyche, from which we get the word psychology, which is ultimately the study of really self, understanding yourself. And what Jesus is really saying here is your sense of self, your identity, who you are is more than food. He's saying, don't worry because your sense of who you are, it's actually more than you think it is. Your identity is more than the things that you can consume. Uh, Your identity is more than the clothes that you can wear. Your identity is more than stuff. Don't worry, it's more than all of that. In other words, he's saying to his disciples and to those who are listening, don't go looking for life in those things. Don't go trying to build your identity on things like that, things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Don't find your sense of self in stuff. But the problem is this. Every single human being is looking to something or someone else to get a sense of who they are. We really can't give it to ourselves. We have to look somewhere else to get it. And for some people, I'll give you some examples. For some people, their sense of self, their identity, their sense of value and worth comes from their accomplishments and from their achievements. 
all the things they've done, their resume, the place they went to school, the, the athletic things they've achieved, their academic success, their career success, and they wear those things like a badge, and they, they, they hope people learn those things about them. It's you are what you've done, it's you are what you do, and it's it, you are what you hope to do. That's your sense of identity. And for that person, they would say, my life, my psyche, my sense of self is connected to, rooted in, my ability to succeed, to perform, and to win. And if that's where your identity is rooted, then guess what you're going to do a lot of? Worry. You're gonna worry every time you lose. You're gonna worry that you don't measure up. You're gonna worry that you even run out of things to achieve. What's left to conquer? I've done everything. You're gonna worry. Some people define themselves that way. Some people find their psyche or their sense of self not in accomplishments and achievements, but in relationships. It's uh, who I am and who I know and who I'm connected to, who I love and who loves me. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell is a famous Canadian author, has a great podcast called Revisionist History. I was listening to it one time, and he was talking to a country singer named Casey, Casey Bowles. And she talked about a song that she wrote for her mother. Uh, and I want you to hear the lyrics to this song. The song's title is Somebody's Something. This is, what the, this is the verse, writing about her mom. She's always been somebody something. She's been everything but alone. A daughter, a lover, a wife, and a mother. She's lived every life but her own. And then the bridge says this. She wonders what it might be like to be somebody else. She wonders what it'd feel like to be free. When she tries to imagine being nobody's nothing, that's someone she'd never want to be. It's great lyrics, and it's great truth. And the truth is this. Everybody wants to be somebody's something. Everybody knows themselves and defines themselves in relationship to other people. I'm her, I'm her husband. I'm his uh, wife. I'm her child. I, they're my dad, right? So we, we have all of these sort of relationships, and those are good things. But what about when it becomes the way that we get our truest sense of self? Then, then life is all locked up in who I know, who knows me, who I love, and who loves me. And, and guess what? That invites into your heart worry. A lot of worry. Worry that relationships will fail. Worry that someone won't be around forever. Worry that that person that you find all your sense of self in will leave you, abandon you, uh, pass away before you. Worry that you won't be loved. See what Jesus is helping us understand here? When you build your sense of who you are on things that you can lose, you're always going to worry. There's no way out of it. Here's, here's, another way that peop, here's another thing that people look to sometimes for a sense of self, um, from the things that they do, but also from the things that they don't do. Here's what I mean. Their ethics, their morality, their spirituality, their religiosity. And for them, their sense of self is found in the choices that they've made, the choices that make them superior to other people who haven't made the same choices, right? So you look at other people and you say, well, you chose to live that way. I chose to live this way. This is who I am. This is how I know that I'm somebody. This is how I know that I'm better than you. But you're going to worry. You're going to worry that people won't respect you, that they won't agree with you, that they won't see all the sacrifices that you've made to get where you are. They won't honor the person that you are and that they won't agree that you're actually better than those other people. Let me give you one more example. Some people even get their psyche or their sense of self from their struggle from their challenges, stuck in a victim mentality, stuck in an unhealthy behavioral cycle. And for this person, life or the sense of self is the struggle that I'm in. That's how they know who they are. They've defined themselves 
by their struggle. And they worry, if I don't have, if I don't have this struggle, then I won't know who I am. If I, I, and this is why you see some people get stuck in the same patterns, in the same cycles, in the same habits over and over. Because even though they want to be free, their identity is so closely tied to their struggle that they're afraid to lose themselves in moving towards freedom. They don't know that they can be free and that there's another identity available to them. And whenever in the church we talk about worry and we talk about anxiety, I think it's important to say that many of us have friends and family who face unique challenges in this, right? Unique challenges when it comes to the issue of anxiety. People who have medical diagnoses as it relates to anxiety. And I think it's important that we uh, be thankful for the help that's out there. We, we give thanks for the mental health community. I have friends that are, uh, serve in, in, as counselors as, uh, in, in that area of, of medicine. And I think it's important. And if that's helpful for you, if you have a diagnosis as it relates to anxiety and worry, and it's helpful for you to talk to someone, and it's helpful for you to get medical help, then, then I, I, I say, if it's helpful, then, then that's great. Here's, here's the only thing I want to say. Don't let it become your identity. Don't let it become your life. Don't just sort of say, that's my struggle, and that's who I am. Maybe it will be a lifelong struggle. I don't know. But maybe God wants to do something to set you free from that. He certainly can. If he can heal us of other medical issues, he can heal us of that. Does God always heal? He doesn't always heal. And we don't always know why. But he certainly can. So do not buy into the lie that this is who I am. This is who I will always be. Because you're at risk of actually building your psyche on your struggle. Now, what does this all mean? It means this. Your worries, the things that you worry about the most, reveal the things that matter most to you. Think for a second. What do you worry about the most? Whatever you worry about the most, whether it's your children, whether it's your future, whether it's your health, whether it's how you're seen by other people, whatever you find yourself anxious about the most, that's actually what matters most to you. That's what's most important. That's what looms largest in your heart. And here's what Jesus wants to say to you this morning through this text. Life is more than those things. Who you are, your identity, your sense of self, your value, your worth, it's more than all that stuff. If you never got any of it, that's not where your psyche is found. Your identity should not be found, established, rooted, or secured in any of those things. In fact, it, it can't. There is no real security in those things. That's why Jesus, I think, chose this, this, this topic of food and clothes, because food and clothes don't last forever. If you worry about food, imagine that you're always worrying about food, and some people have to worry about food because of their life circumstances, but you know, as soon as you eat breakfast, you're like, phew, breakfast is over. What's for lunch? Right? <laughs> Now, that's kind of me anyway, but you know, um, that's a cycle that, that you can enter into. There's always, if food is the thing you worry about the most, I think that's why Jesus is pointing this out, you're never going to run out of reasons to worry. You got to eat again. You got to eat later. You got one meal doesn't free you from the worry of the next. And it's the exact same with anything else you place your trust in outside of Jesus. It's never enough. You're always looking for the next. It's a vicious cycle and it's a fruitless one too. Do you notice Jesus' rhetorical question in verse 25? It's brilliant. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? It's actually a play on words. And the play on words is this. Jesus saying, how many of you, by trying hard, can make yourself taller? Can add to your height? You can't do it. You can't. And Jesus saying, don't overestimate your power. You, you can't change much. 
You can't actually control much. So, so why worry? But also, don't, don't overestimate your perspective. The things we worry about aren't always bad things for us. And the things we worry about often don't happen. In fact, I was, I was studying this this week. There was a study that was done that looked into how many of the things we worry about actually happen. Have you heard of this study? In, in this study, subjects were asked to write down their greatest worries over an extended period of time and then to identify the things that were going to happen as a result of the things they were worried about. And then they, they did this research project over the course of years. You know what they discovered? 85% of what subjects worried about never happened. 85% never happened. And 15% of the things that did happen, within those 15%, 79% of the subjects discovered that either they could handle the difficulty better than they expected or that the difficulty actually taught them a lesson that was worth learning. So they actually were glad they went through it. This means that 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. And if your sense of self, if your life is found in something that you can lose at any time, then you'll never stop worrying. You'll always worry. Life is more than you think. The second thing that Jesus teaches in this text is not only is life is more than you think, but secondly, you, you are worth more than you think. Is that good news? You don't seem happy about that. (laughs) You are worth more than you think. What Jesus does next is he makes two comparisons between us and two things in nature to remind us of our worth and our importance in God's eyes. And the first thing he does is he says, hey, consider the ravens. Now, why did Jesus pick the ravens? Is that like the worst bird out there? Like, why a raven? Well, that's the whole point. Jesus picked a raven because it was a scavenger. It wasn't a respected bird. It's not a beautiful bird. In fact, in the Jewish um, culture, a raven was unclean. So Jesus chooses an unclean bird and says, listen, this unclean scavenger bird who has no plan, who's not like the farmer, who stores things up, have you ever noticed that God provides for the raven and feeds the raven? And God provides for them. So, So look at you. Now, there's one major difference between you and birds. Well, more than one, but there's one major difference I want to point out. Birds are not created in God's image. You are. God has stamped his very image on you. That's how much worth you have. That's how much he values you. You're his. He's made you in his image, and then he's also created within you. He's restored your image through the work of Jesus. So he created us in his, in his image. Our, our, our ability to bear God's image was broken when, when sin entered the world. But when Jesus came, the true image bearer, he now restores to us the desire and the ability to bear his image in a way that honors him and glorifies him. And when someone bears your image, they have great worth, right? My, my oldest daughter, Lilia, she's 10, and she plays indoor soccer. And we go to the games, and all the, all the sane parents sit in the stands. I stand right by the field. <laughs> I'm that dad. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of coaching and kind of giving her tips and stuff like that. But when the game's going on, like, if she's out there, she's the only one I'm watching. I'm just watching her. You know, she's in my image. She's, she's my daughter, and I love her. And she's nothing against those other kids. They're fine. They score lots of goals, which is good because it helps my daughter win. But nothing against them. But, but she, she's a defender. That's why she's not scoring. That's why she's not scoring. She's a defender. Uh, um, she gets all of my attention because she's mine. Do you know, how much of atten- you know how much of God's attention you get? All of it. All of it. Well, how is that possible? Because he's God. 
He can do that. He can give you all of his attention because you're made in his image. You bear his image. And if he does, if he provides for the raven, the unclean bird, how much more are you worth? How much more? And then secondly, he gives us a comparison of lilies of the field. They don't toil. They don't spin. But he says they're more beautiful than King Solomon. All the things that King Solomon could muster together with all his wealth, the lilies are more beautiful. And the important thing to understand here with this flower example is this. Flowers are not made to live forever, but you and I are. So if God does that for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more do you think he wants to do for you? He has a plan for you that extends way beyond this world. He has a plan for you that extends into the next world. If we persist in worry, it's because we're of little faith. That's how Jesus ends that little teaching. He says, oh, ye of little faith. What does that mean? Well, it means if we're a worrier, one of our issues is we don't believe God's word. It's really kind of that simple. Um, We do not believe that he's actually in control. Worry is this. Worry is believing that God won't get it right. That's what it is. Worry is believing that God won't get it right, that God's not in control, that God doesn't think that I'm worth his attention. We do not believe he's capable of taking care of us when we worry. We do not believe what his word tells us about his love and his care for his own. Disbelief is the midwife of worry. That's where worry comes from. And so what do we do? We remind our hearts, believe it. You are worth so much to God. And he established your worth ultimately at the cross where he gave the life of his son for you. That's how much you're worth. Okay. So you, or life, is more than you think. You are worth more than you think. And then lastly this morning, God is bigger and better than you think. Let's read the rest of this passage, beginning in verse 29. Jesus says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy, Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is providing us here a juxtaposition between where we tend to put our treasure and where we should put our treasure. We put our treasure in things that can be easily lost, easily taken. And Jesus is saying, put your treasure, put your heart in a place where no thief can approach and no moth can destroy. So what do we learn here in closing? Two things. Jesus is, God is, Jesus is saying that God is bigger and better than you think. First off, he's bigger than you think. He is. However big you think God is, he's bigger. However great you can imagine him, he's greater. However glorious you think he might be to lay your eyes on, he's more so. He's infinitely big. He's infinitely great. He's infinitely glorious. God is bigger. And if we serve this big God, who are we, his children, his people, to have our lives racked and ruined by worry? It says right in the text that God knows what you need before you know what you need. He already knows what you need. This means that God is already working on your behalf before you even know you need him to be working on your behalf. Whatever you need this upcoming week, God already knows. And he's got a plan to provide it. God has a kingdom that he's establishing that we are to seek. God is great enough to feed the most insignificant parts of his creation. God is great enough to clothe even those parts of his creation that are here today, gone tomorrow. You can't add a minute of time to your life through your worry, but our God holds all things, including time, in his hands. And Jesus said, 
For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And when he said that, here's what he's teaching us. Obsessive worrying is the behavior of essentially an atheist. Someone who doesn't, a functional atheist. Someone who doesn't actually live like there's a God. Obsessive worrying is a pagan behavior because pagans have no God they can truly rely upon other than themselves or the things that they're able to do or obtain or accomplish. And pagans have to motivate their gods. And and throughout the Old Testament, you see that people who worship other gods, they have to uh, convince their gods to do things for them. They have to beg their gods. They have to raise their voices and yell and scream to wake up their gods. But we have a God who's always listening, who's faithful, a God we can rely on, and a God who gives us peace and not worry. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 7, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passes all, surpasses all ability to understand, to reason, to figure out, it will guard your heart and guard your mind. And listen, in this world today, we need something to guard our hearts. We need something to guard our mind. There's lots of things to worry about. There's lots of things to be anxious about, but there's also a peace. And it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, as much as we love that promise, let me just let you know what it means. If you and I need a peace that surpasses all understanding, it means there's going to be times we don't understand. We don't get it. We don't have answers. It doesn't make sense. That's when we need the peace. That's the peace that's provided. He's bigger. And then lastly this morning, he's better. Verse 32, I love this verse. This is my favorite verse from from studying it this week where Jesus says, fear not little flock. Can you hear the tenderness in his voice? He doesn't use that term flock really ever. This is it, maybe one other spot. Fear not little flock, little lambs. Don't be afraid, don't worry, don't be anxious. Why? Because it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Come on. Come on. It's your father's good pleasure. It delights God. This is how good he is. He's so much better than we think he is. He's so much more gracious. Most of you, if I were to say, close your eyes right now and imagine what God's face looks like when he thinks about you. Many of you would think, he's he's concerned about me. Maybe he's disappointed. Maybe he's frustrated. Maybe he's a little irritated. Maybe he's just angry at me. Or maybe he loves you. And maybe he delights in you. And maybe he smiles over you. And maybe he sings over you. And maybe it's his good pleasure to give you everything he has. The kingdom. God delights in giving you what you most need. Earlier in this passage, he said, seek first the kingdom. And then here it says, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, what does that mean? My, one of my daughters is learning the drums and uh, I try to get her to practice more. You know, parents, how that is, trying to get your kids to practice. And, and uh, she said to me recently, Dad, uh, you've, teach, you've taught me some different beats. Can you teach me a new beat? And I said to her, Lily, I, it's in my heart to teach you everything I know. But I really want to see you, like, seek after this. Like, I really want to see you put in time. Like, I want to see you practice. And, and then, like, when I see that desire from you, it's in my heart to give you everything I have to help you. Jesus 
doesn't just ask us to have a desire for him. He actually gives us the desire for him. That's what grace is. He gives us the desire. And as we learn to desire the kingdom, here's what else we'll learn. God's been waiting all along for you to do that. Because as soon as you desire the kingdom, you realize it's his desire, even greater, even better, to give it to you. He wants to give you the kingdom. How do we get our way out of worry? We see God is bigger and better, and we begin to worship him. That's the answer, ultimately. Sounds simple, but it's true. You worship your way out of worry. Now, hold on. I want to make sure you didn't just mishear what I said. I didn't say you sing your way out of worry, although that could be part of it. Worship is much more than singing. You worship your way out of worry. You set your eyes on God, and you see his greatness, and you see his glory, and you see his goodness, and you look to the cross, and you see Jesus Christ the revelate, revealing to us the heart of the Father at the cross where the mercy of God and the justice of God collides together, and Jesus takes the justice of God in our place so that we can receive the mercy of God in his place. And this is the good God that we serve. And this is God's plan to give you the kingdom. There is no other way for God to give us the kingdom than for Jesus Christ to give his life for you and for me. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus, knowing that as we worship, we move from, worship, we move from worry to worship. And we see him for who he is. Let's pray together this morning.